My brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the worship service of the Great Little Zion Baptist Church. I'm Pastor Murphy, and I invite you to come now and sit and enjoy the music ministry as they share with you the glorious hymns as well as spiritual songs of our ministry, and then we'll come back and share with you with the preaching of God's word. Be blessed as God speaks to you this morning. Yeah. 
again, my brothers and sisters, this is our children's moment where we're going to share from the word of God. That God may bless our children as they listen to the spoken word. Get your Bibles. All of my young children, gather around the camera that we might share in the word of God. Today, I have a special word for you from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. Let me read this verse for you. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. That is a very interesting, powerful verse. And here's the illustration I want to use. I have something very special and powerful today. This is popcorn. And when you think about popcorn, what do you think about? The movies, getting around and enjoying the picture. But here's the most important thing about the popcorn. When we open it up, it's the fragrance, the smell, butter, the hot popcorn. It smells so good and it fills the whole air. And everyone wants to taste how good this popcorn is. When I read that verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15, you know what Paul says about us, about you and I as Christians? Just like this popcorn, when it is popped and served, it provides a fragrance all over the building, all over the space in which you are sharing to enjoy its meal. Paul says that we are a fragrance for God to everyone we come in contact with. So here's my message to you. Remember, just like popcorn smells good and it excites people and invites people to enjoy its flavor, I want you to know that God wants to use you to excite people and enjoy the flavor that he provides in your life that will lead people to who Jesus Christ is. Remember, just as this popcorn is good, buttery, tasty, so your life for God will be good, buttery, tasty as well. Have a blessed day in the Lord, my children. Be blessed. I was born by the river In a little tent mm, Like the river I've been running Ever since it's been a long, a long time coming, but I know a change gonna come. Oh, yes, it will. It's been too hard living, but I'm afraid to die. Cause I don't know what's up there Beyond the sky It's been a long A long time coming But I know A change gonna come Oh yes it will I go I go 
somebody keep telling me don't hang around it's been a long a long time coming but i know a change gonna come oh yes it will then i go to my brother and I say brother help me please but he winds up knocking me back down on But now I think I'm able to carry on. It's been a long, a long time coming, but I know a change gonna come. Oh, yes, it will. God bless you. Good morning, Great Little Zion. Welcome as we continue our Sunday exposition of 1 John. Today we're going to look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 23. I invite you to get your Bibles. Let's turn there as we continue our journey through this wonderful book that John has provided for us. 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 18. Here's what it says. Children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have arisen. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out in order that it might be shown that they are not of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. And so our title this morning is The Truth and Nothing But the Truth. The Truth and Nothing But the Truth. We are living in this 21st century context where the idea of pluralism is both explored and expanded to degrees I don't think we ever anticipated. No one enjoys the multiplicity approaches to how one defines a particular like I do, 
I do believe that you should take a look at various things from different angles to get a broader understanding. But even in doing that, there is going to be a central meaning that that particular object or objective is trying to convey. We come now to God, to John's particular in this text, where he raises the issue about something that we haven't heard before in the gospel. Jesus had made mention of something of this nature, but not using the exact terms. John begins to use this term called the Antichrist. It's here in 1st and 2nd John. He uses both the singular and the plural form. It's a part of a very complex form of images and figures that represent the activity of power, evil power, of forces that are hostile unto God. The Old Testament doesn't use the term antichrist particularly, but it has an equivalency that it uses. It causes the opposing power to God, the dragon, the monster. If you read in Isaiah chapter 27, particularly in verse 1, there is the mentioning by Isaiah of an evil conflict, a symbolized evil figure known as the dragon that rises up in evil conflict with the existing work of God. If you take a look at the figure of the monster and the dragon as it's applied to earthly powers, we see them as enemies of God, such as in Jeremiah 51, 34, the Bible recognizes in the very imagery way Nebuchadnezzar as an evil force or Pharaoh in Ezekiel 32 as an evil force or the beast as it denotes in Daniel chapter 7. These figures are hostile to the righteousness of God while pushing the idea of evil and trying to make it supersede that which is righteous. Both of these kinds of figures, whether it's the beast or the monster, reappears in the New Testament, particularly when we get to the book of Revelation chapter 13. The dragon is recognized some 12 times in Revelation and it designates what we know better as the devil and Satan who are the enemies of God. The beast is the central figure really in Revelation used as a symbolic gesture once again to provide what's believed to be opposition, opposing power to God. The New Testament indicates that this presence, this power in its cosmic opposition, in its Cosmic by way in the air opposition flows against God through the references of recognizing certain people, powers that is believed to be witnesses or servants of this evil power. So John talks about both the Antichrist and the spirit of the Antichrist. John talks about this spirit of Antichrist in 1 John 4, chapter 3. Jesus had made mention that there would be many Christ who would come in Mark 13, 22. 
And now, again, as we look at this context, John talks about Antichrist as an equivalency to what Paul calls the man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and 3. All of these suggest that this is a person who is going to concentrate their activity against the elect or the community of faith. These figures seem to lie and deny Christ and lead people astray and oppose and even declare that they are God and demand to be served in some form or fashion. The Antichrist is seen not only as an evil force, but in the Bible, it's also a real person who shall appear just before the second coming of Christ. Paul writes to the Thessalonians that Christ will not come until this Antichrist is revealed. And when he is revealed, that's when Christ will come and destroy him. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and beginning at verse 1. Now we request, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and the gathering together to him, that you may not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a messenger or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. One of the problems in Thessalonica was that the Christians not only were wondering when the day of the Lord was coming, but some of them also believed that it had already taken place and that they had missed the rapture. And listen to how Paul tries to clarify that position. He says in verse 3, Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. Apostasy means unless there is a grand falling away. I mean on a large scale of people who believe in Christ. Listen to what he says. Unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exhorts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. So one thing we know for sure that the Antichrist physically is not here yet, but his spirit is obvious. But Paul is trying to warn and alert the Thessalonians that don't worry about that right now. He's not here yet because if you had known the way you would have known that, he would have came in and occupied the throne in the temple and would have led people to believe that he is God. We find that better understood in the book of Revelation. Listen to what he says in verse 5. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him now so that it is his time that he may reveal. What's restraining him now is the existence of the church of Jesus Christ. That's what keeps this antichrist from appearing because it is not yet God's timing for such to take place. For the mystery of the lawless is already at work. 
which means that the Antichrist spirit and work is already alive and well. Only, to, only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. That's the church. Even though it's not referred to in the feminine as she, which the church is often referred to, the he can only be the church. It can only be Christ who is the head of the church and his church is still here and not until God decides to rapture. Not until then will the Antichrist be seen. Says verse 8, and then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. As I said before, he'll be destroyed once Jesus comes. That is the one who coming is in accord with the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders and with all of the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. That's critical because John is now alerting this congregation, his community to which he's preaching to, that the only thing <clears throat> that keeps you from going astray, from following through on the temptation of the spirit of the Antichrist is truth. The truth and nothing but the truth. It's here that John tells us that the man of sin is sometimes identified in Revelation as he would later tell us, as I said before in 13, as he's called the Antichrist. And such destructive behavior that he will administer, some have already tried to equate physical personalities now to being the Antichrist. Some have tried to recognize ancient Roman emperors who wreaked havoc and devastation on the people, not only of God, but in the community of Rome. Some Roman emperors have been themselves claimed as deity, and they in return even demanded that they be worshipped as deity. That's the spirit of the Antichrist. Some have tried to equate who the Antichrist is to Adolf Hitler or Joseph Stalin or even Ronald Reagan or even certain Catholic popes. And some have even suggested our present occupant of the White House might be the Antichrist. That could never be true. None of those names qualify as Antichrist because we've not yet seen that person. However, we've been eyewitness of its evil spirit. We are eyewitnesses of its activity and intentions to oppose whatever God is doing in the world. Which is why John underscores for us, again, the importance of being in the light and knowing the truth. When we talk about the light thing, once again in this second chapter in verse 3 through 14, John elevates the awareness of the light. What the light does when it comes in contact with darkness. In verse 15 through 17, he talks about the accuracy of the light. What happens when the light is shined on the particularities of darkness and its behavior and how it illuminates what's evil in the place of that darkness. 
And now he's given us advice from the light. In verse 18 through 23, he is going to point us to the recognition of three things. Number one, he says, the light leads us to the truth and enables every believer to, first of all, recognize the spirit of the Antichrist. Look what he says in verse 18. He says, children, his congregation, it's the last hour. And just as you heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have arisen. From this, we know that it is the last hour. Now, that phrase doesn't mean that it's the last hour for all existence, because obviously here we are thousands of years later and we're still existing. But maybe John was speaking in a very prophetic way what will happen in that last hour as we move toward that climax, that culmination of Christ returning back to rapture up his bride. And John calls it the last hour. Paul calls it the last hour. Even Daniel calls it the last hour. It's a moment when trouble will arise. And yet they all declare that we need to know what the spirit of the Antichrist is. What's interesting is that John recognizes for us that participants in this spirit of the Antichrist are persons who were once members of their congregation, but they left. Listen to the text. In verse 19, he says, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out in order that it might be shown that they are not of us. It's a suspicion that there were those in the congregation who may have ran into a conflict of some sort and didn't like it, so they left the church. And John is suggesting that they were actually being used of Satan to possibly create destruction. We've seen that before. In fact, I would contend that most of our churches now that exist, over half of them, if not more, came out of the split of another congregation because for some reason we could not see eye to eye on the issue so we left and went and began another congregational life. Sometimes that works out for the great. But it does point a finger and raise a question as to when we enter conflict how is it that we cannot trust the spirit of God as opposed to trusting the spirit of evil of the anti-Christ who's against what Christ is. Look what he said in verse 22. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the anti-Christ, the one who denies the Father and the Son. There's a suspicion that part of their problem who left was they could not agree or embrace the doctrinal teaching in the early church. In other words, John is trying to tell us that one way to measure whether one is in the family is to challenge and to lay out 
their theological conviction. And he says the only way you can test that is by doctrine. So he uses two doctrines to do that. He uses first the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Then he uses the doctrine of incarnation. This is important. Because John says they left us. They declared from the first that they obviously were not of us because they did not trust the spirit of Christ, but they end up embracing the spirit of the Antichrist. That spirit is at work in our churches today, creating havoc, creating confusion, creating frustration, trying to divide, placing one group on one side, one on another, not recognizing through our own eyes how Satan is at work. We'll forget the words of John 10 and 10 as Jesus says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's Satan's objective because he is opposed to the unity that Christ creates in a house. And we have to recognize when that anti-Christ spirit is active among us. But then John also says to us that the light leads us to the truth because it helps us resist the spirit of the Antichrist. In verse 19, he had already said they left out from us. And then John says because they, ne they never really were of us in the first place. Some scholars say John is passing judgment. That's a very judgmental call because one does not know what exists in the hearts of an individual. That could be true. I don't know. But then we also have to look at what Paul says in the letter to Galatians that we have to measure that tree by the fruit that it bears. And people who create confusion, who always have some mess stirring up, who make an issue of every minute thing in the church, they're not walking in the spirit of Christ. They're being controlled and influenced by the Antichrist. And John says, you've got to watch that because what could be the best thing to happen is that they depart from the fellowship. That's what happened in the text. Because in the words of Jesus, if you certainly are not for me, then you are working against me. And John's going to contend that the only thing that helps us recognize when the Antichrist is at work is the work and the discernment of the Holy Spirit. How do I know that? Listen to what John says in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he is in us because he has given us his spirit. He being Christ, spirit being the Holy Spirit. You can tell those who are of the faith and then those who are not. In other words, John may be very well also telling us that everybody in your church is not saved. That could very well be true. Then there are those who are probably just simply immature, not mature enough to know how to interact and handle themselves in the fellowship. John says the only thing that can help you see that is the Holy Spirit by using the truth 
of the word of God. Then there's a third thing that John says. John says, I want you to see that the light leads to the truth, which enables the believer to remain faithful in Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says in verse 20. He knows that the only way we can remain faithful is through the activity, the presence, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He knows that the Antichrist also knows those who are filled with the Spirit. Their life produces such activity and fruit that the Antichrist works against to destroy or disturb. So look what John says in verse 20. He says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know it. You know that you have the anointing of God. In other words, John is also saying, but remember, the Antichrist knows that you have the anointing as well. And his objective is to get us to walk out of fellowship with God, out from under the covering and the anointing of the power of God, that we might not remain faithful to Jesus Christ. But John says, you got an anointing. Look at verse 21. If I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. In other words, John says it's the Holy Spirit that gives you the discernment when a lie is circulating. You can tell when the truth is not at work and the Antichrist with its lies are reigning about. Why is that important to John? Because John says they not only deny the power of the Spirit, but they also deny the incarnation of Jesus Christ. They suggest that there's no way. Remember, I told you at the outset of this lesson, at the very beginning in chapter 1 and uh, probably chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2, that there was a sect of religious folk called the Gnostics. And a part of the Gnostics' belief was that it was impossible. They did not believe that Jesus could be incarnate, both God and man. That Jesus was too holy to take on physical flesh and be among us. So there's an extreme denial of Jesus as the Son of God. And here's a problem with that. A deep problem. The denial of the incarnation of Christ disqualifies you as becoming a Christian. Listen to what John says in verse 22. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son easily. Because Jesus made clear repeatedly, and John heard that in his gospel writing, particularly in John chapter 16, 17, and 18, that he and the Father are one. You can't deny the Father and accept the Son, and you can't accept the Father and not deny the Son. You have to accept both because they are both one, says John. And the Antichrist says, it's not possible. That's kind of what we're hearing now in this pluralistic context. 
that there's more than one Christ, more than one Savior, that there are multiple saviors. And mind you, I will tell you that there are various religions who have their Savior. There are various religions who believe in their particular form of salvation. But you can't be a Christian, you can't be a follower of Jesus Christ and deny the incarnation of Jesus as the Son of God, as God in his Son. It's right there in verse 20, 21, and 22. John makes it clear in verse 23. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father, and the one who confesses the Son has the Father also. They are one. Jesus made that point repeatedly to his disciples. Me and the Father are one. Remember the dialogue between Philip, Thomas, and Jesus in John 14? Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'm coming back to receive you into myself that where I am there you may be also. And one says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. And Philip says, Lord, show us the Father that we might see him. And Jesus says, I've been so long with you. Do you yet not know that I am the Father of one? He that has seen me has seen the Father. John is pointing us to what's called authentic Christianity. And it's being measured by how we accept the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and the doctrine of the incarnation of Christ. So John is really giving us four principles that I'm going to leave you with that I want to say that when we grasp these and when we embrace the Holy Spirit and when we embrace what Christ and who Christ is, what he's done, who he is. Here's what John says. It creates in us, in verse 20, an alerted faith. Listen to what he says again. But you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know. It's the Holy Spirit who alerts me to when false slash anti-Christ verbiage is in the air or anti-Christ behavior is being demonstrated, or the anti-Christ spirit is among us. It's full of confusion. It's full of destruction. It's full of leading us astray from the walk that brings kingdom blessings, says John. And so God's spirit leads us because the truth and nothing but the truth teaches us about alerted faith. There's a second thing in verse 21. Not only alerted faith, but accepting faith. Look what he says in verse 21. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. I know the truth, says John. You know the truth because the word of God has been shared and you have embraced it. It's an accepting faith because I've accepted what God has said about his son, Jesus the Christ. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. 
And John contends for us that this is an accepting faith. And then he says, it's an awareness faith. Look at verse 22. Who is the liar but the one who denies Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. So when someone tells me, I like Jesus, good guy, but I cannot accept the fact that he's the savior of the world, I can't believe that he died for my sins, then that person has disqualified themselves from salvation in Christ. But the Bible says, Romans 10, verse 9 and 10, in embracing, confessing with our mouth and believing in our heart, we have an awareness of what salvation is, and that triggers our faith to trust in Christ. And then in verse 23, we have an acknowledging faith. An acknowledging faith that says, whoever denies the Son does not have the Father, and the one who confesses the Son has the Father also. So John is saying, watch the Antichrist, watch those who are among you, who try to lead you astray from holding on to your faith in Christ. That's not of God. That's an opposing figure to God. As I close, let me tell you this, the Antichrist and its spirit is opposed to justice. It's opposed to equality and peace. It's opposed to equitable health care. It's opposed to affordable housing. It's opposed to the elimination of police injustice. It's opposed to the elimination of the wealth disparity. It's opposed to the elimination of the racial taxation. It's opposed to reforming the tax system. And it's opposed to the birth of a newness of life. That's why it's called anti or anti. It's against everything Christ has come to do in terms of liberation, in terms of creating equality, in terms of administering justice. It is opposition. So John contends that we understand the importance in verse 24 of moving forward in faith. Listen to what he says. As for you, let that abide in you, that word. And here's a statement he's made previously. Which you heard from the beginning. From the start of your journey, you heard the gospel. And that's what changed your life. And that's what you have to hold on to when the Antichrist is running rampant. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. Push forward in the faith and never forget the truth and nothing but the truth will give you victory in the presence of an Antichrist. Let us pray. Lord, this word is different. Journeying through John's writing to this community.
doesn't permit us to only speak on those passages that bring joy and celebration, but we have to, when we go verse by verse through the text, even deal with those passages that are dangerous and difficult and sometimes, in a sense, discouraging to hear. The Antichrist is rapid. We already know it. His spirit is throughout the whole entire world. But I thank you for knowing who the Christ is. And the Christ in his truth sets us free. For whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So Father, continue to lead through your Holy Spirit. Teach us in the word that we might have the spirit to discern when evil is trying to move us off of the path of your righteousness. Give you the glory in Christ's name. Amen. It's our privilege and our joy and our anticipation and expectation that today somebody watching this broadcast may have made a decision. I'm going to follow the Christ and not the Antichrist. If you've made that choice, what a wonderful new world and new life you have entered into. What we would ask you to do is please call our church office and let us know, hey, Today I made a decision to trust Christ as my Savior. We want to rejoice with you and offer ourselves to you as a church family and we'd love to have you become a part of this church family as well. We're looking forward to God doing something great in somebody's life because of this word today. My brothers and sisters, family and friends of Great Little Zion, thank you so much as always for supporting the ministry. We recognize that if it had not been for your support, we could not continue to do what we're doing. So we thank you for lending us your financial support as well as your virtual viewing, which gives us encouragement to continue the fight preaching the gospel of Christ. We also invite you at this time, if you would, to take the moment to go and to provide your giving to the church, whether you do that by taking out your electronic device and texting your offering or your tithes to the church, or you go to our church website and use our e-giving by giving in that fashion, or by way of mailing to us your contribution. However you do that, we certainly greatly appreciate that. Now, as we come to the close of this service, let us prepare our hearts and minds for the time in which we're going to come together to break bread, as this is our communion Sunday. I want to invite you to get your communion elements as we come together, and let's gather around the space that we may share in this sacred moment to which God has called us break bread together in remembrance of him. and sisters on that Thursday evening in which our Lord gathered around that table to share with his disciples.
The Bible says that he took bread and he looked into heaven and he gave thanks for it and he gave it to his disciples. As they did eat together, let us now eat together in communion. Likewise, it says that he took the cup. He looked at the disciples and let them know that in this cup was, of course, the redemption of the forgiveness of their sins. But he promised them he would not drink it anew again until he enters into the kingdom. But he looked into heaven and gave thanks for it. And then he gave it to his disciples. As they did commune together in drinking, let us commune together as well. And upon their finished they left and went out into the Mount of Olives singing a hymn, rejoicing that they've had a chance to break bread. Even though it was a solemn moment in which the disciples were not sure what to expect from that day forward, let us leave with a great gathering of spirit, excited that this is the day that the Lord has granted us to be together. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. I want you to have a blessed, wonderful week in the Lord and always remember God loves you and so do I. Be blessed. So we lift our hands in the sanctuary and we give you glory.